Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the Mr. Beacon podcast. This week, we're back to some traditional territory. Um, we're talking to Garrett Kinsman, who is co-founder at Noddle, who are both a network and a maker of a device. So they have uh, a crypto-based network that runs on smartphones and uh, actually Wi-Fi access points and other things that can be used for what we would describe as ambient IoT use cases. So a find my uh, of almost uh, anything. They're going to tell us about one of their early wins in uh, finding stolen cars for French insurance company. And we'll get into their views of uh, the best Bluetooth uh, beacons out there, uh, some of the interesting use cases, but also their hardware. They have uh, announced uh, the nano computer, the N1 nano computer, which is a super thin, uh, low cost, but programmable uh, smart tag, uh, essentially. It's a, it's a compute device as well. So uh, if, if you like devices, this is for you. If you're thinking about the networks that are going to allow us to crowdsource and see everything, then uh, check this out. And this is a follow-up to a, an interview that I had with uh, Misha, the CEO, back in 20, uh, 2019. So if you're really into the details, you can watch and listen to both and, uh, and compare and contrast. But I think uh, Garrett does a great job of uh, explaining where they're at. So the, the episode stands on its own. Hope you enjoy it. The Mr. Beacon Ambient IoT Podcast is sponsored by Williot, bringing intelligence to every single thing. Garrett, welcome to the Mr. Beacon Podcast. It's really great to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Well, in uh, in many ways, this is a, a sequel. We had your co-founder, Misha, uh, the CEO uh, of Noddle on uh, back in February of 2019. Seems like just forever ago. Um, so if anyone wants to uh, compare and contrast, they can go back and, uh, uh, and, and watch that. But let's save them the trouble. Why don't you just give us a quick uh, recap on what your company does. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I'm interested in the progress. Um, we will visit that, uh, uh, that, that theme, you know, lessons learned, where you've got to, where you're going to. Uh, but also you um, have some intriguing information about what I would see as an ambient IoT uh, device, your nanocomputer, uh, the, the N1 yeah. device. And I want to talk about that as well. Uh, but for people that that didn't watch um, Mr. Beacon back in 2019, can you remind them what your company does and how, how do you describe it now? Sure. So we're nodal. We like to say that we're connecting uh, the real world with the digital world. And we started back in 2017 using smartphones and Bluetooth to build wireless networks. So since we started it, these ideas have become very popular with things like Apple AirTag, where you use a swarm of smartphones to connect things like a little Bluetooth tag um, to find your keys or your pet. But we're much more interested in the enterprise world. So last year, Apple made over a billion dollars just on AirTag, just for finding your car keys. We believe that the enterprise space is much, much bigger. And we believe one of the key kind of limitations to 
seeing um, just a swarm of Bluetooth devices in the real world around us is a common network where a Williet tag can talk to a network, where an iBeacon, where a air conditioner can all work with the same network, much like the internet, uh, and communicate with each other. And that's really what we're building is we're working to create a standard network where starting with smartphones can communicate with the world around us, capture Bluetooth signals, and then pass those signals back to the owner of that device. Amazing. I believe in that world too. Uh, how are things progressing? How, how big is the network these days? So it's been very exciting. A few things have happened since, uh, since uh, 2019. Uh, it's definitely been a, a wild ride. Uh, but it's really interesting. We've proven out the fact that you can build enterprise revenues with a network like this. So our largest customer now, uh, an insurance company is Fran- in France, is using our network to locate stolen vehicles. Uh, and uh, it's working. We'll, we'll probably have some announcements more on that uh, in the next few months. Uh, but we've shown that you can use Bluetooth just like you've used a, a cellular or a satellite-connected device. And fundamentally, we believe this is incredibly transformative because not only can a lot of devices today that are using a SIM card just use Bluetooth, but a a lot of devices that today just could not afford to connect to the internet can now connect to the internet. Uh, We're talking in some cases an order of magnitude, um, more cost-effective and more power-effective way to send data up to the internet. So we've proven this out with some insurance customers. We're working now to scale this up um, and enable all kinds of other devices. One of the key uh, trends with our network is its programmability. And we announced at the beginning of this year a, uh, a white paper, and we're now pretty deep into the development and deployment of the programmability of this network with something called smart missions. And a smart mission basically is we can program our network to any specific Bluetooth device that we wish. If Williet wants to use a network, we can program its identifier into our network, and now our network adapts to it and can communicate with that device based on programmability of the network. Uh-huh. We think this is really cool uh, because today all these Bluetooth networks that are deployed are not programmable. If you want to use a competitive network, you have to use their language, their firmware, and it's incredibly cost prohibitive. Gosh. So much to unpack there, and I want to go back and unpack it. But just back to the question on size. So I guess you, and maybe you don't want to answer that. That's that's fine if, if you don't. But um, the way I think about these networks is in two dimensions. One is the things that you're tracking, kind of the tags, and then the things that you're using to to read, which I guess is the real network, is the, the uh, how many uh, devices do you have that, uh, have the novel app or the SDK? Um, is uh, are your readers all in the novel app, and uh, how many of them are there? I guess that's two questions, but pick pick which one is it. So it's in the right now. It's in the hundreds of thousands of active devices. Um, yes, obviously we want to increase this uh, much much more, um, but even that's enough to start covering places like Europe, especially France. We've had a big focus on France with reliable coverage. And just a few weeks ago, we came out with our Explorer map. So if you type in network.nodal.com, N-O-D-L-E.com, so network.nodal.com, you can see this incredible map of the world around us. And you can actually see, you can zoom in onto your your neighborhood and you can see within 30 days, uh, did a smartphone running the nodal software come into your neighborhood? And you can start to explore the map yourself, which we think is really, really cool. We grow through a few ways. So one is uh, the Nodal app. So regular people, just like you and me, can download the Nodal app. I think you've been playing with it for some time. Um, Mm -hmm. And it allows your smartphone just to start earning a cryptocurrency because we are a crypto incentivized network for sharing your Bluetooth. So Mm -hmm. we operate through an app. We also have an SDK. And this SDK can go into games and other mobile apps and this provides a way for developers to earn crypto just by sharing Bluetooth anonymously. Hey. So it's a it's a multi-pronged uh, a way of growth. And we're also having discussions with smartphone makers and telcos and OS providers to embed this at a native, a native scale. 
our long-term goal would be to really be the common network that things like Apple's network, Google's network could use to talk to each other because you mm-hmm. don't have to trust one single company. You, you have this decentralized aspect of the network. And we think that's really important. And a lot of customers think that's really important. So it's your app, but it could be a lot more than that. It could be uh, an SDK that goes yeah. into other things. Well, what about things like Wi-Fi access points? Could, could you put your uh, SDK in there yes, as well? Yes, definitely. Uh, we have a partnership with Cisco Meraki. So we actually work with some of their APIs uh, for enterprise settings. And we've been looking very closely at uh, gateways. So being able to support uh, right now Android, kind of Linux Android gateways, but even a a single tiny uh, Bluetooth chip with an internet connection, uh, this is something else that we've been been looking at as well, so that you could build a gateway for almost nothing. So if I was the CTO at Starbucks and I happened to be a Meraki, Cisco Meraki customer, I could potentially, would I have the ability to uh, activate the nodal network at every Starbucks. So if someone yep. lost yes. a device and it ended up in a Starbucks, then that could kind of report it back somehow. Yes, it would be very straightforward to do that. We think that use cases more like analytics are much more interesting. So strangely enough, we see a lot of uh, coffee makers on our network. Um, I think hey. because some brand of coffee machine is just blasting Bluetooth probably a bit more than they should. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's one that actually shows up on our network quite a bit. And if that was transmitting analytics, now Starbucks could get essentially real-time analytics from their coffee machines. How many coffees are being made? What type? Uh, is the motor okay? What's the status? Um, and it's these little analytics, this type of information that um, it can really help a business and really increase efficiencies. So you have a network and it sounds like you can already across the hundreds of thousands of nodes in that network, look at the kind of Bluetooth devices that are out there and you kind of get a sense yep. of uh, what's going on. Yeah. That's pretty cool. We can run we can run searches. We call it kind of a search engine of the physical world. Um, and uh, what's happening with their, our transfer of smart missions is this data will actually be routed at the edge. So this means that if we want to route data directly to a customer server without it having to go through nodal, then we can do so. And let's get back to the um, the use case of finding stolen vehicles. So the vehicles, do they have a special Bluetooth tag in there or are you just using the fact yeah. that cars have a lot of Bluetooth devices in them anyway? They have a special Bluetooth tag, which... Uh, basically transmits a, u- a unique identifier. In this case, they've custom designed it, but you could use any off-the-shelf uh, Bluetooth tag. It just depends really on your level of security. Most cars do transmit Bluetooth, uh, like every yeah. Tesla transmits Bluetooth, uh, but most of these companies are pretty clever and anonymize the identifiers. So you can't act, locate a specific vehicle. Okay. But if a car company, we see a lot of uh, Harman, so Samsung owns Harman, um, uh, sound systems out there in the wild, if they wanted to include a, a unique identifier in their transmission, we could very simply uh, program that into our network and be able to recover stolen vehicles made by that radio company. Hmm. And this is getting geeky, but do you just see Bluetooth low energy advertising packets or do you see other kind of... Uh, Bluetooth devices, audio devices that are looking for a connection? Right now, it's just uh, what you see in a scan. So advertising packets is what we focus on. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. We can technically support anything that the phone supports. So in the future, yeah. uh, Wi-Fi, we're very interested in what's happening with some of the new Wi-Fi standards for building networks. Uh, ultra-wideband, uh, we think it would be cool if phones could do mesh networks in the future. Mm-hmm. There were even some experiments with LTE Direct in the past um, before the telcos killed that off. So really, we make smartphones programmable in new ways, new, very secure, privacy-preserving ways. And uh, any new protocol that's added to the phones, we can support that. And to what degree, you talked about things being killed off. It feels like um, Apple and maybe others are trying to kill off the crowdsourcing use case 
with with Bluetooth. Are you able to do what you do on Apple phones, uh, or is it an Android only thing? Yes, we can do iOS and Android. These certain companies make want to make it very difficult. Um, they claim in the name of privacy, but when they're making a billion dollars on a certain product and their privacy changes, uh, build a wall around their billion dollar product. It, 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 it's a tough argument sometimes. Yeah. Thankfully, um, especially with the new European regulations, it, these things have to be more open. Um, yeah. Android's really great about this. Um, Apple is definitely moving in that direction. So today we work both on iOS and Android um, uh, pr- pretty reliably. Android, you can do a bit more. Um, Android, you can have a bit more fun with, um, but both um, Android and iOS uh, work, work quite well. And a lot of people have built their businesses around both phones, so the manufacturers really have to to make sure and uh, and, and maintain these things. I'm sure you guys at Williot, um, you're really pushing the limits of what a smartphone can do. Um, you know, even using smartphones to energize your network of, uh, mm-hmm. of tags, so... Um, I don't think anyone's really thought of using a phone as a, as a wireless energy communication device, but I think that's pretty awesome um, and definitely pushing the limits of what the ad, what the Play Store uh, would like. So that's good to good to hear that you have that uh, um, coverage on both ecosystems. And yeah, you know, I think you implied it, but let's let's just make sure it's super clear. That, that there's a motivation for consumers to install the app. Um, yeah. Um, you know, why would I install the Nodal app? I, I mean, I installed it because I thought it was cool and super interesting. Uh, but uh, why why might uh, someone uh, join the network? So right now it's uh, because they can earn a bit of crypto. Today it's not much, um, but it's we believe someday that I could help pay for a fraction of your data plan. Uh, mm-hmm. So really it's a crypto economic model, which means you get paid in cryptocurrency for sharing a bit of your Bluetooth. And we think that this is really what's required for networks like what Apple and Google are doing with these small tags to scale into the enterprise. People need a robust and reliable network, but they also need a network that can be incentivized to grow in specific parts of the world where today there's not much coverage. And obviously, since we last spoke, crypto has been on a roller coaster ride, uh, ride uh, as far as um, oh yeah, you know, positive, Positivity and negativity. How has that impacted you, uh, if at all, um, in the way you describe what you do and people's willingness to use it? It's kind of crazy because when we first met, when I first met Misha back in 2014, 2015, uh, crypto wasn't really a thing. We were always steadfast on building these new types of mesh networks. And there was, there was like the Bitcoiners was kind of a movement. There were the the mesh guys, the decentralized mesh networking guys. And then there were kind of the anarchists, uh, the people working in BitTorrent and, and torrenting files and all this type of stuff. Um, and, and it wasn't really until much later that the crypto space came around. And, and Misha and I had always been very, very focused on how do we build enterprise applications that work? So since 2017, even when crypto came into the field, we realized that crypto was a very good way to structure these networks and to secure them um, just from a fundamental decentralized route of trust. Uh, I can say definitely having crypto boom and then crash and then boom and then crash, it's a, it's a bit wild, but we, we've always been focused on how do we provide a great enterprise product that, that works um, and, and scaling that up in that fashion. And, and what are the benefits that uh, blockchain and crypto um, uh, provide to the solution that you're building? So like the internet, it's a decentralized system. And, and we believe that any type of network that's operating at the scale like nodal, it has to be decentralized, uh, which means that data isn't going through one server. And this is also something that a lot of customers, enterprise customers have demand it. They say, no, we want a system that can work on our own servers or route data directly to our own servers. And a decentralized system is is ultimately the best way to do that. Now, you need a way to secure that, but also to incentivize that system. And that's when a cryptocurrency comes into place. Um, it would be like uh, building in a global 
telco billing system into the, the fundamentals of the internet. Yeah. Back in the 90s, they weren't thinking like that and cryptocurrency didn't exist. But now it does. We have these tools and we can program uh, bandwidth incentives. We can program all these things into into our network, which which can work at a fundamental IoT level, which is really cool. Very good. Um, okay, let's talk a bit about the hardware. Before we do that, I, I just want to say a, a couple of things about how I see what you do, which is... Um, you know, there are many terms that are used to describe it, but I, I really see your company as being an ambient IoT company. This podcast is now called the Mr. Beacon Ambient IoT Podcast, and and it's um, so maybe I'm just sort of justifying why you're uh, on here. Why I, I thought it was a good idea to to have an update, but um, I really think uh, you're ambient in because ambient is about connecting every single thing to. And, and having readers that are ubiquitous that are everywhere and yeah. that feels like what you're uh, that you're doing that uh, yes you can track cars but you could equally track uh, coffee makers or uh, uh, pairs of socks or or, or, or anything uh, and uh, the network could be very broad and uh, heterogeneous so would you kind of yeah. accept that as a, as a as a as a marketplace that you're in yeah yeah, I'll take it. Um, Very good. The, the way that we've been thinking about it is that um, Willie, I mean, Willie is probably one of the best examples of an enterprise company that's built a really cool application on, on top of Bluetooth. But we fundamentally believe that what's keeping these types of things, these Bluetooth tags, these Bluetooth devices from just becoming a multi-billion dollar, multi-trillion dollar space is the lack of a network. If... You want to go connect your device to a network. You've got to modify all your firmware, change your business model, uh, build the hardware device, uh, connect it to a network, and then all that data has to go through um, uh, sometimes a competitor. And it's just not a, it's not productive. And so we <laughs> believe that the difficulties in really getting online it looks a lot like the internet did in the in the nineties, where if you want to get online, you've got to get a CD, pop it in your computer plug your computer into a telephone line and hope and pray that it works. And it wasn't really that conducive until uh, the 2000s when internet connectivity spread. Uh, these It really became standardized and there was one common network for computers and humans and machines to talk to. We think the same thing should, should be for Bluetooth devices. And uh, so we believe the network was missing. We started to build out the network. But now what can we do with this network? Most of the world is thinking about Bluetooth iBeacons, simple Bluetooth device that says, hello, I'm here, here's my name. Um, but I, th I thought that wasn't that exciting. I said, what is this going to look like in 100 years from now? And what we imagined was a device that could use the full capabilities of the nodal network um, and be as intelligent as possible. You know, we look at Willie devices, we say, that's cool, but what would happen if you crammed as much compute power into a device like this as possible? Um, what would you get? And then what could you do with such things? Um, so that's kind of how the nodal nanocomputer was was born by saying, how can we leverage the, the full capabilities of a network like nodal to the extreme and then set up a, a, a world where in 10 years from now, they're not just talking over Bluetooth, but maybe they're building mesh networks with a different technology like Wi-Fi. Maybe they're actually becoming part of the internet infrastructure itself, doing compute, building basic wireless networks and so forth. I love it. Um, so the first product is called N1, is that right? Yeah. The N1 is, think of it like a, a prototype, an open source prototype, just to set the space to get people thinking about um, where this goes next. This was kind of our first foray into printed uh, zinc-based battery chemistries, uh, which is a totally new, <laughs> totally new space. Um, yeah, still evolving very quickly. Um, but this is cool because you're not using lithium, which has a much higher carbon impact. So we can build this type of ambient computing, um, essentially a, a zinc battery with a, a, a system on a chip, um, and we can put much more capabilities into it. So the nano computer is loaded with sensors, temperature, humidity, pressure motion, 
a hardware security module so we can encrypt communications. Um, and uh, it's really just the first step into where we think things are going to go next. And it can, um, it, can it listen as well as transmit or does it just transmit? Today, the firmware that we've open sourced is just transmitting. Mm-hmm. What we're doing with smart missions is, is we're programming logic that we can push into the network. And so uh, we want to use the nanocomputer as a reference device for smart missions. Uh, so this means that we can build a, a simple program that is deployed on the network. And we think that just a, a network running applications is kind of an interesting idea. That having a wireless network that's programmable. Um, and then we can have that network interact with a device like the nanocomputer um, in a programmable fashion. And so that's really where we see things heading next is that we open up this type of this, this device uh, for other developers so that they can program things that run on the nanocomputer. They could build an app that runs on the nanocomputer and captures sensor data over the course of a week and then computes on top of it um, or so forth. And so that way enterprises can really get to the edge. They can start programming applications at the edge and they have a common network that can send data back to the cloud. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Let's describe what this looks like and roughly how much uh, does, it, does it cost? So today the nano computer is a, a sticker. Um, it's uh, about four inches by three inches. So it's, it's a relatively small sticker. Um, the target cost is $5, below $5. Um, but today, it's a, at low volumes, it's a bit more expensive. It's closer to $10. Uh, mm-hmm. The goal for this, though, is to create a path towards sub-dollar computing. And today, you're never going to do that with the standard way we manufacture products. Today, it's, uh, you have a circuit board, a PCB, a battery connected together. You put it in a plastic case. Uh, that's how most things today are manufactured. Did you have all these different components? You stick them together. We think that if you can continuously manufacture like tape or a newspaper, uh, a yeah. product like the nanocomputer, then you can get the economies of scale that we need. Um, we're still several years away from this. And again, we believe that this, this network is missing uh, that yeah. can allow the economies of scale and the prices to come down. That can enable a device like the nanocomputer to be much, much cheaper than existing hardware manufacturing. But there's a there's several years to go, and there's kind of a long, long uh, manufacturing scale up, and it's really a, a shift of, of of supply chain. When the LED came out in the '80s, it was a very expensive device. Everyone was using light bulbs, and LEDs were extremely, extremely expensive. And it, it took this type of device to come out um, to get that product market fit for the price of an LED to just collapse exponentially. And now you've got 
millions of billions of LEDs and uh, displays. So we think that we can do the same thing with computing if we start thinking about computing from a printed standpoint. And today, there's a printed circuit board and there's a there's a there's a zinc battery. Um, yeah. Uh, and and it's rechargeable, right? So it has has potentially a- yeah. It's a re- it's a rechargeable battery chemistry. Um, I'm a big believer in photovoltaics, so solar panels. Mm-hmm. Um, and we think that a lot can be done to kind of unify the design into one common uh, substrate. So we don't have a separate battery, a separate device. We can actually print everything together. Um, and if you look at what's happening with a lot of new technologies, um, circuit boards printed, even uh, chips are printed today, um, especially some of the, lead, the new technologies coming out of, of China where they're really integrating printed boards with silicon chips, with printed batteries. We think there's really a, a big space to innovate on what it even looks like to build a computer. So yeah. we like to think about, could this be something like a Raspberry Pi, but what comes next? How do we build the next level of, of uh, computing uh, for developers that can be just built at really, really high volume? And what is the process to do the programming? Can it be reprogrammed over the air or is it a matter of connecting to the tag with some kind of uh, device? Right now, it's it's like a JTAG interface. Okay. It'll, it'll probably remain like that for some time um, until we can open up a, an over-the-air programming function. That would actually be a cool smart mission to see if we could make a, a smart mission on our, on our network that would allow you to program the device. So it's very early today, but it's really just to get people thinking about this new type of computing. And, and if you make it completely open, force as much compute power into the device as possible, what type of applications will people come up with? And then what's the status of the project? So right now, phase one is uh, open sourced. So you can check it out on GitHub. Um, you can see, uh, you can test it out. Right now we're using it just really as a development platform for experimenting with new beacon frameworks and things like that. Uh, and we're now thinking a lot about a V2 design. So I can't say anything yet, but uh, we think there's really a lot of room to innovate and, uh, and make something really streamlined, really powerful really aware. I mean, really ambient computing should be intelligent. It should be loaded with sensors mm-hmm. as smart as possible um, and ultimately be able to be made as cheap as possible too. Um, if we if we can see volume someday in the, the millions or hundreds of millions of units. For sure. And I'm always conflicted with this show because obviously I have a day job. It is at Williot. You've mentioned Williot. I've been studiously trying not to talk about <laughs> Williot, but I, I think people may... Um, people may be curious and we can cut this bit out because I really want this to be about uh, Noddle but I was thinking in my, I was just sort of going through and seeing well how does this compare with what Williot is doing and uh, I, I know that some people at Williot think you know why the heck is Steve interviewing these other people that are doing ambient uh, computing but I, I really believe what we're doing is building a category um, and that there will yeah. be multiple products each one with its own strengths and weaknesses it's like this is about having a toolkit, not, you know, every problem does not require a hammer. You need hammers, screwdrivers, the whole yeah. uh, plethora of things. And, um, you know, what, what Williot does, uh, our, our primary focus is battery-free, uh, and the price point that we're yeah. focused on is is sub-10 cents. So we when we started, we were like, we used to say, oh, it's less than a dollar. <laughs> we're like, yeah, we're... So next year, twenty twenty four, it'll be uh, less than ten cents, and I'm hoping that we can really hammer that down. We're looking at uh, uh, stripping out the paper in the paper tag and just printing the antennas directly wow. on cardboard and stuff like that. But wow. you, know, you obviously give things up there. There's no way that's going to be ever going to be programmable. It's uh, we burn the firmware in at the chip manufacturing yeah. level, and we have production runs of millions of these things. Not. Yeah. Uh, uh, not small numbers, and uh, so and that definitely and that there you know we worked with a partner, Identive, and so there is a zinc battery it, version of our product, 
but again, it's it's the same chip, so it's not going to do the kind of uh, general purpose uh, programmable things that uh, you guys do, and it's not rechargeable. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, the price point is is definitely more than ten cents for uh, uh, for for the uh, uh, the zinc battery version, and so that sort of I would say sits in between what you've described as the N1 and uh, and what we have for our general battery-free uh, products. But I yeah. think you know we need to have all of these products out there so that all the use cases can be uh, uh, built out and deployed and people can learn. And uh, um, yeah. But you know, whatever the, the tag, you still need the network, which is what you uh, guys are really yeah. focused on. And uh, so I think what you do and what William does is very complementary from, uh, from that perspective. Yeah, I mean- we're fundamentally a network. We we want to be a network, and and the nano computer was kind of built out of like this, this 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 nagging angst of I, I was saying I said why somebody needs to build a device that is hyper intelligent can do everything, um, and if you're trying to build something for an enterprise that works today, and you're trying to build a be be sensible. Williot is very sensible. Williot is a device designed to be as efficient as possible, deployed very quickly into production. Um, what, what we were thinking of was, what does the anti-Williot look like? What if you take a, this, a similar form factor and load it with compute power, load it with an AI and sensors and, and mesh networking? And, and um, t- today, it, it obviously is a very simple chipset. Um, but what happens in a few years when you can have an AI chip that costs a few dollars and can run off of a, a few milliwatts um, there should be a form factor ready to accept these types of these t- new types of technologies, um, and so that's kind of where we're thinking of. You have the kind of the Williot, you have R- you have RFID at the bottom, and NFC. Mm-hmm. You've got the Williot battery free tag, which I think is an awesome mm-hmm. form factor. Um, you have the Williot uh, battery power tag, which um, obviously with a higher power budget, you can do much more. You can do more um, more mm-hmm. functions. You can operate much more often. Um, and then way on the other side, you have like the Raspberry Pi, this like supercomputer. We're thinking mm-hmm. of kind of what comes just before the Raspberry Pi. How can we take something like a Raspberry Pi, make it much, much cheaper, significantly cheaper, um, and then open source it to the world? What if you can make a device like a Raspberry Pi that costs a few dollars? What happens then? I don't know, but we want to open source it and find out. I love it. I love the approach. Um so uh, we should probably wrap up soon, but I uh, I want to make sure we've done justice for the use cases. You you folks have probably learned a lot over the last few years. I, I can't wait to hear more yeah. about the car tracking. Any other use cases that you know? Wh- where do you see the sweet spots for for what you're doing? So obviously uh, logistics. I think any use case where William is used today in more wide area sense. So things like shipping containers, shipping pallets boxes and carts anytime we have to be tracking and, and, and uh, understanding complex logistical networks um, networks like node will help you get that visibility and yeah. um, and we believe that devices like Williot are some of the best tags and some of the best hardware to do so so we think there's a fantastic um, a, f- a fantastic combination there um, I'm very interested in things like insurance so tagging construction equipment generators, Stuff yeah. that um, needs to run, you know, a Bluetooth tag needs to run for five or 10 years. Uh, and a lot of the time, these devices just disappear into the wild. So how do you have a, a connected asset uh, that can stay connected for 10 years, um, can end up in really wild parts of the world in the middle of nowhere and still be able to be connected? Yeah. Uh, even if it takes a few days for our network to find it um, in the woods or in the forest somewhere, uh, somebody walks by with a cell phone and, and it gets picked up. Um, and that's incredibly valuable for insurance companies, um, for, for logistics networks that have assets all over the world. Um, that's really what we've been looking at right now and really helping companies like Williot or other uh, Bluetooth tag manufacturers or device manufacturers uh, bring their devices online. Well, let's talk about those other tag manufacturers. This podcast started, you know, I finished writing the Bluetooth Beacon uh, book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Beaker System was the subtitle. And 
Uh, and it, the, the, the podcast came out of just wanting to carry on talking to smart people that were developing cool beacon technology and, uh, and, the, yeah. and the networks that were using that. Even back in the book, there's a, a chapter on the networks, uh, although that was pre, uh, pre-novel, uh, nodal. But um, um, you probably have uh, one of the best perspectives of the Bluetooth beacon market because your network is connecting on there. And I think th- there's been a shakeout, but there's still a lot of the uh, the early, some of the early players have disappeared, uh, but you've still got your contact yep. IOs, the estimates. Uh, yep. um, there's... Uh, um, uh, um, Oh gosh, so many, uh, so so many. Uh, what are the Chinese vendors? Uh, there's there's yeah. some really uh, interesting players there. What's interesting there, and what what beacons are you using when someone wants a Bluetooth beacon? What what do you recommend, and uh, what are you seeing out there? So we're we've tested all kinds. Uh, the The biggest thing for us is that because our network's global. We find that a lot of beacon manufacturers are a little lazy and they'll reuse IDs, like especially if you look at the really low-cost chipsets. Um, so we'll query our network for it and we'll see five of them in different parts of the world. And so we found that you know, somebody that has a good quality chipset um, but also can put the identifier on the device, so you have it laser etched yeah. or something hardware, um, is also kind of difficult if you go and buy a bulk beacons from manufacturers, a lot of times they don't have an easy way to identify it. And this was also why we had to make our network programmable because even within the beacon world, there's kind of 10 different sub formats. People don't always follow the spec properly. Um, the way yeah. that the identify devices is all totally different. Some people use major minor, some people use Mac ID, which most smartphones can't even see anymore. Um, so it's, it's very diverse. Um, what we like, I mean, we've got a great relationship with um, EM out of Switzerland. So this is mm-hmm. the same the same group that's making your luxury uh, Omegas swatches. and your Swatch watches uh, uh, is making Bluetooth chipsets because they had to stay. Yeah. Uh, with, during the quartz crisis, they got really good at building low power uh, chipsets for timing and things like that. Um, and so EM is doing some just, it's just good, reliable Bluetooth device that you can scan with your phone and it and they work. Um, um, Minu is just kind of dominating the space uh, in in Asia. Um, they're really doing um, a good stuff. Um, obviously, you want to have a diverse supply chain, so it's a great to have a supplier in Europe, a supplier in, in Asia. Um, and if anyone else has Bluetooth devices, reach out to me. I'd love to chat. I always want to test stuff. Um, uh, and of course, what you guys are doing is really cool. I think in the next two or three years, um, the Willy, especially the battery powered tags, um, I think can be really interesting for, for, for enterprise as well. Um, I'm just kind of antsy and I want to see, you know, a full arm chip and sensors and a hardware security module and all the features. <laughs> and I want it to run for 10 years and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and communicate to my network and build mesh networks and talk to satellites and stuff. So, um, so that's why we were thinking about you know building our own device. What what would it look like? Kind of the ultimate stair. Yeah, I th- I think there's plenty of room. Uh, the the issue is growing the category, not fighting for market share. So I uh, I love the yeah. fact that you guys are doing what you're doing. Um, Gareth, thanks very much for telling us about it. Well, you've got proper music headgear on. That makes me think that you're an audiophile. Are you an audiophile? Do you like music? I do love music. Um, I used to actually wear studio monitors, so the ones that would actually plug into the the, the mixing panels. Um, but I definitely love music. I was very inspired by the iPod. That was certainly one of the more uh, pieces of hardware that got me really inspired as a child. And you did a a TEDx um, presentation that had music as as as, as the theme i was yeah. just watching it before this and i was struck by the parallels with novel and 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 some of the some of the concepts that you were were were, were talking about yeah that's pretty cool that you got how did you get on how do you get to do a tedx what what's the secret 
So uh, it was the local uh, TEDx in my hometown. And uh, I don't remember how, maybe through my school. I, I think I was in high school when I did that. Um, but had already been really thinking about mesh networks and how to how to think about connectivity. And I really thought it'd be music, getting music to play uh, with uh, devices that would bring these types of new networks. Um, in fact, it's more like Bluetooth devices, which we'll probably talk about in a second, which are more likely yeah. to do so. so. Very good. So um, back to music, uh, did you choose three songs that are important to you? Did you manage yes. to do that? So I had three that were kind of very special. So the first was Viva La Vida by Coldplay. Um, and it was more uh, for the advertisements. I remember sitting on TV when I was very young, watching the Apple ads. Wow. These were done by uh, TBWA Shiat Day in Los Angeles. Um, and some of the most amazing animation I'd ever seen. I said, wow, I want to make stuff like that. And that's what got me. Uh, becoming a graphic designer was that ad playing Viva La Vida. Um, back in the old days when Apple was doing really, really cutting edge stuff and pushing limits. They did amazing ads, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, the, 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 um, I, I think back to um, the Mac versus PC ads didn't have the same graphic flair, but uh, certainly uh, yeah. incredible creativity. A lot of what's taught me is just looking at things in the world around us and saying, how is that made? And the first was really that ad. I said, how do they make that ad? And that got me learning about graphic design. And then I said, let's take what I've learned in the second dimension and push it to the third dimension. And that's how I got interested in hardware. Um, so back to music. Uh, the, the other two songs, which I really love, are a song called Stay Crunchy by Ronald Jenkins. He's this guy who just does really crazy keyboard. Um, and then finally was uh, the entire album or random album title by dead mouse uh that's the album that got me into electronic music mm -hmm. i'd kind of been all over the place and dead mouse is really cool because he does a lot of work with analog synthesizers so for somebody like myself doing a lot of work in rs um people that take that same uh same technology and they're making music out of it to me is really cool um so dead mouse Ronald Jenkins and Coldplay. I love the way you're joining all these dots. You have a very integrated uh, view of the of the world. How did you get to be doing what you're you're doing? You're co-founder of Nodal, and uh, um, you know I can tell that from that TEDx talk that you'd been thinking about related. Uh, concepts yeah how did you and misha meet and uh how did the, what's your origin story i'd always been interested in mesh networks so this idea that you can use the devices you already have your phones or a specific node on your rooftop to build networks um and google in early 2010s i would say 2012 or 2013 came out with the idea of the modular smartphone again this was the early 2000s where companies were really innovating and, and didn't have so much focus on profits, but more just on creating really compelling ideas. And Google invented and built this modular smartphone. So you could remove the screen, you could change out the CPU, and it was just almost like Lego blocks. I remember it. Yeah. Um, and the crazy part is they had it working, uh, but their finance team killed it off. Uh, so really, if, if that had gone through, we would be in a totally different world of computing. Computing would look very different than it is today. So that's what got me out to uh, Silicon Valley and to a conference for Project R at the Computer History Museum. And it was there that I was introduced to Misha. Uh, I met some guy who was very interested in mesh networking. He says, you need to talk to this, this Misha guy uh, from Europe. Uh, you guys are both on the same wavelength. I, uh, I gave Misha a call literally in the second floor of the Computer History Museum um, right above where they had the uh, the Babbage engine, this hand-cranked uh, computer. And mm -hmm. she said, oh my gosh, uh, you're hired for an internship. And so that's at 17, I flew out to San Francisco and really never moved, never looked back and started working with Misha, who today is my, uh, my co-founder. Incredible. So how long was it 
from that first uh, internship and and starting the company? So the first internship, this was 2014 or 2015. And this was a different company called FireChat. So I had believed it would be music oh, yeah. that would create these mesh networks for people. Uh, their philosophy was it would be messaging. And so this was an attempt to create mesh networks, but allowing people to share messages. And FireChat was pretty exciting because it became really a symbol of democracy. Mm -hmm. So in all these protests around the world, this was really the tail end of the Arab Spring movement, uh, people were using FireChat. It was actually kind of crazy because in the data, we would say, oh my gosh, there's a spike in this country. What's happening? A few hours later on the BBC, we'd see coming through that uh, there was a protest or some government had fallen or something crazy had happened. So it was really an interesting time, especially a kind of a wild first job in tech. Um, so that was really the the first job. And it was really another, it was total about four years until we came back together and started Nodal. In between, I moved to India and lived in India for two years and came back in 2017. Uh, when none of these ideas really to build a very solid, sustainable mesh worked, we came back. So let's give this another crack. Maybe we can use the concept of IoT devices, these little Bluetooth devices all in the world around us, to subsidize and incentivize the creation of these new types of wireless networks. Very good. Well, Garrett, it's been great talking to you. I'm glad I got to hear a bit of the uh, the inside to uh, how the company got started, and uh, I love those music suggestions. You're going to have to send us the links. So we'll we'll uh, publish the YouTube uh, uh, pointers so that people can. Uh, uh, listen to the, to, to the music. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Steve. So that's uh, my conversation with, uh, with Garrett, who is a really interesting guy. I encourage you to check out his TEDx talk. Uh, it's uh, him looking very young, but being super eloquent and visionary. So... That's definitely worth a, a look. Check out the Noddle uh, website. And uh, thanks very much for listening. As you've listened to the end, we must have done something right. Please do rate and review us on whatever your podcast app is. It helps us raise the visibility of what we're doing and uh, encourages us to keep on uh, doing it. I want to uh, uh, thank uh, everyone for listening. I want to thank Aaron. For, for editing this episode and uh, I look forward to uh, having you join us uh, next time in, in a couple of weeks uh, time when we have the next episode of the Mr. Beacon Ambient IoT podcast. <laughs>